change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podsky Weeby. I'm Jeff Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, I was going to open this week's show by talking about that incredible poutine helmet that the Montreal Alouettes are going to be selling at their game on Thursday. But we had to put that to the side and jump right into the Ticats news because on Tuesday, the team announced that they brought back <laughs> receiver Mike Jones. So Jones was released by the Elks. Uh, what last week uh july 29th as part of kind of like the, the elks had this like massive roster purge where they got rid of like a dozen people over their bye week jones was one of them almost immediately after he was released i uh, how many how many tweets were the show and you and myself like tagged in it was it felt like a half dozen to a dozen at least and i think even someone said that we, we you and i needed to do a live instant reaction show just to talk about Mike Jones's release and his potential return to Hamilton, which at the time I thought was idiotic. And then the number of people that tagged me and the show after this announcement on Tuesday, it grew exponentially that this had to be the first thing we talked about. So Mike, I don't think many people will be surprised that I'm not exactly enamored with this move, but before we get into my thoughts, how do you feel about the team bringing Mike Jones back into the fold? <sighs> It's an interesting move, isn't it? I think we joked about this when he got released, actually. Um, but I don't know. There's there's some Canadian receivers that are injured right now. Um, I'm assuming it's just a depth move. I don't think we're going to see Mike Jones on the field, to be honest with you. I think he'll be on the team, but you know he won't even get the chance to contribute. And you know if he does and he plays well, then awesome. We'll be a we'll be you know, the leaders of the Mike Jones fan club. But uh, <laughs> just over the years, you know, he had that one really good year, uh, around 800 yards receiving, I think, uh, the year June Jones was there. Um, but other than that, you know, he's just been an, an average Canadian receiver at best. You know, you're you're going to get, if he's a full-time receiver on your roster, you're probably going to get, you know, 300 to 500 yards and a couple comical drops. So, you know, and we saw it last week. He was with the Elks, or a week before, I can't remember. It was recent, though. And he he dropped a, a touchdown pass. That was right in his midst. It was an easy catch for, for a professional receiver, and he just dropped it. So that's the Mike Jones we know, uh, a, a guy that has potential. Um, he has a great deal of speed. He can get open. But my question is, if the ball is thrown his way, can he catch it? So is this uh you think this is a John Ryan situation? where they bring him in as kind of insurance, but then never end up using him, and then he's gone in six weeks? Uh, 
I mean, that, that's he, he lasts longer than Ryan. Ryan was here um, just over two. But is that how you're kind of looking at this? You don't you don't think he's ever you don't think he's actually going to play? Uh, unless uh, you know, there's more injuries to the receiving core, obviously. Then I think he'll slide in there. But otherwise, yeah, I think I don't I don't necessarily think he'll be released. You know, in the amount of time that John Ryan was here, only three weeks or four weeks or so. But uh, I don't I think he's going to be on the sidelines. I don't think he's going to be on the field. So. Obviously, I, I kind of said it in the introduction here. I didn't think the team would do it. I didn't think there was a need to do it. I understand Tyler Tarnowski got hurt last week. He's I don't know if he's been I don't think he I don't think he's been put on the six game injured list. I don't think they have to do that until they announce their roster on I guess it would be Friday this week. But he was not in pads of practice. He's dealing with another shoulder injury, same sort of injury he dealt with in training camp this year. So I get that there's now sort of a, a void there for, cause the team has carried four Canadian receivers all year, except when Lamar Durant was out and then they, they still had four, but with Durant's injury, they only dressed Keandre Smith, David Unger and Ternowski was out too. So they really, they only dressed one. Well, they dressed two, but they only started one, but now with the injury to Van Zyl and using an American on the offensive line, I understand they have to start two, but last week they started Ternowski and Durant and only, had Smith as the third Canadian receiver on the roster. Unger was on the, on the practice roster. And Orlando Steinhardt said today, he said this was a no-brainer to bring him back. He knows the offense. He knows Dane. And they suffered some injuries at, at national receiver is what he said. But, like, their roster makeup doesn't need four Canadian receivers. So that's why this is a little bizarre to me. I'm also... Obviously not a huge fan of his play. You mentioned he's a 300 to 500 yard receiver. You look at his stats, he's he's never topped 400 yards with the one exception you, you mentioned of the, the June Jones year where he had 841. He's not an impact player. I got in trouble with him and his family when I made mention of that. And we talk about potential. The dude's going to turn 30 this year. Like at some point we have to, he's been in, this is his sixth season in the league. At some point we just have to say, at what point is your potential – is it no longer potential and it's just this is who you are? I think we know who Mike Jones is. You mentioned the drops, and that's one of the most frustrating things is he'll he'll have a ball hit him off the top of the head or hit him in the chest, and then four plays later he'll make an incredible catch in, in between three receivers – or in between three defensive backs and take it 60 yards for a touchdown. Like it's not that he's a bad player. I, he's just not consistent enough, and if any player, regardless of nationality – was this inconsistent? I think we we would be consistent in bringing up his his the problem that he that he has, right? Like I I just don't see of all the receivers out. Like I get the fact that he knows the offense because he was here for four years. He he knows and and it's the same offensive coordinator for most of those seasons. It's he's been with Tommy Condell. He knows Dane Evans, but I just we expected after 2018 that he okay he's good. That's a big year. He's going to take the leap. The following year, 22 catches, 319 yards, zero touchdowns in 18 games. He he is what he is. And I, th- I thought with the hash marks being moved in, we've kind of moved away from you have that wide res- wide side receiver that you just throw your, your token Canadian out there and don't worry about it. I mean, this year he has eight receptions on 21 targets. So he's catching just over a third of the balls thrown his way for 100 yards, like in seven games. He is what he is. If, I, I don't believe the team will be relying on him to make an impact, but if they ever do, I I don't think much will come of it. 
Yeah, it's much like Podski Wee Wee. At the beginning, there was much potential, <laughs> and we are what we are, right? That's just you know they never grew. Uh, we had we had that one year, and then it just it was all downhill from there, Josh. <laughs> wow, what a drive-by on your own show, man! What a drive-by on your own show. I, I I I'd be remiss. We talked about it before the show. I'm I'm you you and your dad got into a little disagreement over this. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, you know, sometimes I think he listens to the show and he just like trolls me. My own father <laughs> trolling me. Like he just sends me messages. Like I remember when Mike Jones got released, he was like, "Oh, we should bring him in. That'd be a great move." And I, I'm like, you son of a gun. Like, <laughs> it's just funny. But, yeah, we had a bit of an argument today. All in good fun. But uh, he was saying, like, there, you know, don't be a Debbie Downer. He'll be – he's got lots of potential and all that stuff. And I, I, I disagree, obviously, as we just talked about. But, uh, you know, maybe now that I disagree with him, uh, Mike Jones will be great. And then he'll be able to troll me some more. So let's hope that happens. I guess I guess we'll have to wait and see, right? But uh, yes. I'm I'm not going to hold my breath. I I I hope you're right in that he is. This is a depth move, and he rarely, if ever, sees the field. I guess we'll find out when the depth chart comes out. You got to think that he, there's a, there's the possibility that he could he could play this week. He like like Steinauer said, he knows the offense, so there's not like a. It's not as if you bring in someone brand new. There's a there's a giant learning curve. But uh, I would be upset's not the right word, but a little disappointed if Unger wasn't given first crack to to get his old job back. I think mm-hmm. Ternowski is is not necessarily a star in the making. I think that would be going a little too far, but I do believe that he's kind of the future at that Canadian receiver position. But I think Unger has shown enough in in limited like he just hasn't got enough opportunities in my opinion. But I was at practice yeah. today on Tuesday and he was getting a ton of op- like a ton of reps with the first team offense. He was making a ton of catches. Like I I saw Evans and Schiltz who who kind of, I wouldn't say split first team reps, but there were there were some with both, which I don't think is will surprise anyone given uh, the the Cats have seemingly adopted a two quarterback system this year or at least the last few weeks. But there was there was some really nice routes by him, and he would get open, and he would split the defenders. And I really hope that he's the guy that gets first crack, and they didn't airlift Jones into kind of leapfrog Ungerer. I, I really hope Ungerer gets the chance to to get back into the lineup and, and show what he's capable of, because that's another guy that I think he hasn't he hasn't shown it, but I think he is younger. I think there's still some potential there. But obviously, it's going to have to translate to actual statistics and success on the field. But I, I really do hope that he he's the guy that we see come into the lineup as a second Canadian. And and this is not meant as a, as a knock on Mike Jones. I just think that this guy's been here. He was on the roster. He went to the practice roster. Let's give him another chance to kind of show what he can do. That, that That's how I would like to see it play out. And that has nothing to do with Mike Jones. If Mike Jones wasn't even brought in, I would hope that that was. And I like Keandre Smith a lot. He had, he had a big. Second down catch, though the one catch he had, we talked about it on the, I believe we talked about it on the post game show. If not, I wrote, I definitely wrote about it in my yep. post game article for three down. I, I like what he brings to the table. I just think that a veteran player like Ungerer deserves a second opportunity to kind of show what he can do. Yeah, I agree. I, I like both uh, Ternowski and Ungerer. So, um, I hope you know. I know that Ternowski's out with an injury, but I hope going forward it's either one of those guys and uh, Lamar Durant to fill the two Canadian spots. For sure. All right, let's move on to some CFL news, Mike. And there were a couple of debates that have sprung up over the last week that I would kind of like to get your opinion on. The first was maybe a little of my doing after my column asking people to stop comparing their crappy teams to the 2011 BC Lions was published. 
I stand. It was funny because I that got published. I think it was last Thursday or Friday. Then almost immediately afterwards, there was a, a thing with Mike Benavides saying, "Well, here's how we here's how the Red Blacks at 0 and 6 can can learn can can learn from that that 2011 BC I mean, Lions. We're team. in that we're in that boat, right? With Tie Cats one and five. They or are they one and five. They're they are now. But the reason, <laughs> and, and you and I have talked about this previously. I did the research on this, and aside from that BC Lions team, no one else in the last decade. The last 10 CFL seasons, like, I know it's 2022, but we've missed 2020. But the last 10 CFL seasons, no other C- no other team has won a great cup after starting that poorly. And only the Ticats in 2013 and 2014 got to the great cup after starting that poorly. One year was 2014. And that's when the entire, the, the East was as bad then as it was right now. That, that's what happened is every team, I think the Argos might have been in first place around Labor Day, but they like it was Ottawa's first year and they were they they won two games that season. The Owls also made a, a push to the East final after starting. I think the Owls started one and seven. I think the Ticats started two and seven. And then the Ticats finished nine and nine. Owls finished nine and nine. Argos finished eight and ten out of the playoffs. I, I I understand that teams can start poorly and make the playoffs, but the idea that your team is going to make this miraculous, like it's a once in a lifetime thing to see that. Like the, and and my whole point in that column was the reason we bring up still bring up the twenty eleven BC Lions, because no one else has ever done it. Anyway, to get into what I wanted to discuss, in that piece, I basically dismissed the idea that the Elks could make the playoffs. That ticked a few people off, and a lot of them were obviously from where you are right now, Mike, in Edmonton. But there's also a kind of a spirited debate about the Elks versus the Riders. My rationale in thinking the Elks would make the playoffs, they're currently 2-5. and five. They're in last place in the West. They need to leapfrog both Saskatchewan, who are 4-4 four and four right now, but they also have to have a better record than both. Then, then two of the following four teams, Hamilton, Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto. Right now, they have the same record as Hamilton and Montreal and a worse record than the Argos, but they're also still fifth in the West. We know two East teams will make the playoffs. That, ha- that if, if all five West teams are better than every team in the East, doesn't make a difference. That fifth place team in the West does not cross over. There will at least be two East teams in the playoffs. We also know that for Edmonton to cross over, like I said, they have to have a better record than the fourth place team in the West and the third and fourth place teams in the East. I don't think they're going to catch the Riders. I know a lot of people are down on them. I think well, they've lost three in a row. Injuries, Cody Fajardo's hurt, all that other sort of stuff. I don't think Edmonton will catch them, so I still think they're going to finish fifth in the West. While some do actually believe that the Elks will catch the Riders, and that's sort of where the contention came in. I know it's kind of early to talk about the playoffs, but based on what you have seen so far, buddy, do you think that I was off base in saying the Elks are not going to the playoffs? Do you, do you think Edmonton can make a push and actually – Get to fourth because third in the West, I think for for both again, you don't want to say anything definitive right now, but it sure certainly feels like BC, Winnipeg, and Calgary are going to be the top three teams in the West. That means fourth place in the crossover is really the only spot that the Riders and the Elks have to make the playoffs. Do you think I was wrong in saying the Elks are already out of it, even though they've only played seven games? No, I don't think so. I think the Elks are improving like week by week. I think they're getting better. But they don't have a quarterback, and you know, like, what the hell's his name? Uh, Cornelius, like he's UConn, shown flashes. Taylor, UConn Cornelius. There you go. He's shown flashes, and I think you know he has a strong arm, and and I think he could be an okay QB. But I just don't, I don't see them having a large amount of success with him at quarterback this season, or Trey Ford for that matter. I know that Nathan Rourke has done a great job being a Canadian quarterback. He's, you know, we'll talk about it in a little bit. He's. He's in the running for MOP, no doubt about it. But I just don't think you can equate that to Trey Ford. He just we haven't seen enough from him. And I'm not saying that he's there's not a lot of potential there and he he can't be a great quarterback, but I just don't see it 
happening this year. Um, and the Elks haven't won a home game in like over a thousand days. And yeah. you can take that into, you know, the lost season and all that, but it's still been a long, long time. So they're going to have to figure out how to win at home before they can even think about uh, a playoff spot. So I think the Elks are still, you know, a year away from uh, tr- trying to sneak into the playoffs. That's what I think too. I think Edmonton is going to be competitive to keep these games close going through the last half of the season, but they're not, I don't think they're good enough to win enough to make the playoffs. I would actually be more worried about them. If Trey Ford was playing, I think what he showed in the game against Hamilton and in that little bit, he played the following week, it was like half a dozen plays or what have you, that there's something special about like, he has that. It, he has the, it, you know, because like, I think he, he, he's, he's going to have to develop obviously, but I, I think the ability to, to use his feet and I, th- I just think over Cornelius, like, that's what I mean. Like, I don't have any faith in Taylor Cornelius to do anything at the CFL level. Like, I think he's he's a backup starting simply because they don't actually have a quarterback. And that's where I kind of come with the Elks. The Elks have the worst quarterbacking in the league. I, mm-hmm. I don't think that that's a stretch. I, I think I think even with Caleb Evans, I think Ottawa's in a better spot than Edmonton is with Cornelius. I just don't see how they're going to, you mentioned they're a year away and that's exactly how I feel. I think that, like I said, they're going to be competitive. They're going to, they're probably going to lose some close games, some 10 point games, some seven point games. I just don't think the riders are, are going to bottom out. Like everyone, like everyone's saying, Oh, look at their schedule. I think eight of their final 10 games are against the, maybe it's seven. I can't remember what it was, but it was, some, oh, it was eight of their last 11 were against BC, Winnipeg and Calgary. But they get Calgary back-to-back at the end of the season. Maybe by then the Stamps have already clinched their playoff seeding. So that last week of the season, when they when they play in Regina, probably not going to be a game where you see it. Because I, I think Winnipeg's going to get the, the first one seed in the bye. You're going to see some guys rest there. People are already, right. oh, they're not going to beat Winnipeg. Man, if there's anything that we that fans should know, and we know specifically when it comes to that Labor Day weekend stuff, it doesn't matter what your record is. We've seen terrible – the the one example I will always go to, 1991, the Argos ended up winning the Grey Cup. They were the best team in the CFL that year. They were loaded with talent. They came into Hamilton on Labor Day against, I believe, a winless Ticats team and got absolutely slaughtered. Labor Day is a different beast, and it's the same out there. I think the Riders, whether Winnipeg goes into that game undefeated or not, I think the Riders are going to win on Labor Day because there's just something about that atmosphere – Going on the road on Labor Day, I don't know what it is, but normally we see the home teams. We see Ham- Hamilton hasn't lost a Labor Day game in a decade. The Riders have won, I think, seven or eight of the last ten, something like that. And the the Stamps always beat Edmonton when they when they host. So it's like I don't, I I just think that again after this week there's still going to be two games up. That means Edmonton has to win two additional games to whatever the Riders do. I think the Riders are probably going to finish somewhere around eight and ten, nine and nine. I don't mm-hmm. think that means that the the Elks, even, even if they split with the Riders, because they got a couple of games of them coming up, they'd have to. I, I the point differential is probably like the Riders haven't really been blown out. The Elks had that just like absolute shit kicking in week one. The math just doesn't. Even if you think the Riders are going to bottom out, they're going to. What, what's the worst you think Saskatchewan's going to finish? Seven eleven. Do you really think the Elks are going to win? six of their last 11 games when they've won two of their first seven? I, I don't. No, neither do I. You know, we talk about the the Elks quarterbacking. I'm not enamored with Saskatchewan's quarterbacking either. And, I, and don't get me wrong, I'm with you. I think Saskatchewan will 
finish ahead of the Elks, but Cody Fajardo just doesn't do it for me, man. I never has. Know, yeah, it, his deep ball is atrocious. Terrible. I mean, it, it's it's he throws it so high in the air. There's no you know running underneath it. You know, catch it in stride. There's none of that with Cody Fajardo. And you know, if he was listening to this, I'm sure he'd be offended. But that's oh, just he, I, he'd I, block we, us on Twitter because that's what he does. Yeah. I mean, we've watched him for a couple of years now, and the hype has been through the roof, and I just don't get it. He's he's not that great of a quarterback. So um, I think both of those teams are, yes, this, the Rough Riders will probably make the playoffs, but I, I don't see them going any further than that. Like, I don't see them making the West Final or the Grey Cup or anything like that just because I don't have any faith in Fajardo. No, I put too much faith. I had the Riders winning the Grey Cup at the start of the season. I put way too much faith. And I'm a, I've been a skeptic of Fajardo's since day one. He got a lot of hype coming out of that 2019 season because he was the runner-up for MOP, but that was the year that every quarterback but him got hurt, and he came in because a quarterback got hurt. He, his number, If he can't run the football, he's ineffective, and he's got a bum knee right now. I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not high on the Riders quarterbacking either. I'm a little higher on a banged-up Fajardo than I am on a reasonably healthy Cornelius just because I have that little faith in Taylor Cornelius, but I, I don't think either of these teams are, are going to do much. Like th- there's the talk of, Oh, whatever, one of these teams crosses over, they're going to waltz to the gray cups through the well, East. That's, it's the, like, that's the talk every year, every, every year, year every, and it's and never, it and never I, happens. I know something it's going to happen because that's what like, you, we can say to say it won't happen because it's never happened is silly because it never happens until it actually happens. But looking at the teams, like I don't think that Edmonton or, or and even though we, I know we've seen Edmonton come into Hamilton and get a win, but I think the Ticats are getting better as the season goes on. I think Montreal, like I think if the Elks actually catch the Riders, I don't think that they'll have a better record than the third place team in the East. And I think very little of of what Montreal is doing right now. I think that coaching change is going to have them just absolutely fall off the map. I think Ottawa could make a run to get to seven or so wins. And if that's the case, if the right, like I could see more of it being three teams in East. Now, two of them could be under 500 and one of them could be nine and nine, but I don't necessarily know if that fourth place team, if the riders take a tumble or even if the Elks catch them are going to get to eight or nine wins. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out because, you know, as we know, the East has looked pretty damn bad this season, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm with you. I thought, Ottawa looked pretty darn good last week with uh, who's the quarterback there? Um, Caleb Evans. That's the name. Um, Caleb Evans, you know, he, he showed flashes last year as well. And I thought last week was probably his best game as a professional. So Easily. if he could keep that going, you know, Ottawa could, could get some wins here. I mean, Toronto's okay. Montreal's pretty much in shambles now. Uh, Hamilton's improving, but uh, you never know with them. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Ottawa can make a push. It sounds ludicrous at one and six, but, you know, they're probably playing a lot of East teams as well down the stretch here, and and then they could get some wins. Well, the thing is, we like I said, we know two, at least two of these teams are going to make the playoffs. I think it's going to be Toronto and Hamilton as mm-hmm. as we sit right now. I'm not overly confident in that. Like, a lot will be decided – Maybe not a lot, but some of that could be decided this week. If the Argos, and we're going to talk about the Argos Ticats game a little later, if the Argos win, I even though I, I said four and two over the stretch, I baked in two losses, and those two losses 
one of them was to the Argos. Two of them might have even been to the Argos. But you know what I mean? Like, when you say a team's going to go 4-2 and two over six-game strikes, there's going to be two losses. So I'm, I'm not going to overreact if they lose on Saturday. But I think that the, that would put the Argos two points or four points up. That's a, I think that's a, might be enough of a cushion, you know what I mean, like in, in what's shaping up to be a pretty bad division. But we've seen bad teams come out of this back-to-back years. We had, I mean, the Argos, the last two Grey Cups they won, they were 9-9. Nine and nine. And then the Red Blacks, the year they won, were 8-9-1. and one. Like, we've seen, quote-unquote, bad teams get hot and win championships. Like, the idea that, oh, whoever wins the West is just going to waltz. And maybe they will. That Maybe, you know, Winnipeg's going to win a third straight and kick everyone's teeth in, and that that's how this season goes. That, of course that could happen. But the idea that in a one game, like that, that's the beauty of football, right? Like, you have one game in a championship to decide who's the best on that night, and... We, I think we put way too much stock in. Like, if to be honest, if Winnipeg finished this season 14 and four, but doesn't win the championship, they were still the best team this year. And I, I, I know you, you and I disagree on the whole championship versus non-championship thing, but I, that's a like the Tie Cats in 2019 were the best team in the CFL, Grey Cup win or not. Same with the Bombers. Like, if the Bombers go into the Grey Cup 14 and four and lose to an eight and ten Argos team. I'm not saying the Argos were the better team this year. They weren't. They were just better on that one night. But that's the beauty of football. All it takes is one night. So we're still a far ways away from deciding who's going to be champions. But the idea that everyone seems to, and I guess that we kind of started this by me making a declarative statement that Edmonton won't make the playoffs. But the idea that everyone knows that this is going to be whoever wins the West is winning the title, a little silly to me. Uh, absolutely. It's extremely silly because, you know, you mentioned a one game playoff, but you also have to take in consideration it's, uh, you know, November in mm-hmm. Canada. So the, the weather can play a factor. You know, sometimes uh, a 9 and 9 or a 10 and 18 can go into a, you know, 13 win team. And if it's snowing and the weather's bad, then, then stuff can happen, right? So you just never know until you actually get there. But it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out because I think that the Eastern Conference. Eastern Division is going to get a lot more interesting as we go uh, uh, getting into the second half of the season. This wasn't on the on the agenda, but I get this was kind of something else that sprung up. How do you feel about the the schedule? Because there's been a lot made of, I mean, the Ticats are going to play the Argos for the next five. There was a lot of East-West stuff at the beginning of the year, and people are saying, oh, that's why the division disparity is so big. But if you look at the actual games between the two, it's it's a lot of close losses by the East, and things might not be as as disparate as as the standings make it look are you okay with because i don't mind i mean four games in five weeks is, is a bit much for me but i don't mind a backloaded divisional schedule because i think you want to make those late games late season games mean just that much more like that's when you have to that's when the the like that October and, and November, that's when the CFL is competing with the NFL, is competing with the NHL, is competing with the NBA, is competing with the World Series and baseball playoffs. Like that's when everyone's that like September to December window, I, I guess with the CFL September, November, that's when like the most sports is going on. I think having a backloaded schedule of divisional games, I think allows for much more meaningful contests late in the season versus getting a bunch of those done. Maybe there's a, there's a balance that needs to be struck, but what do you think? Do you, do you like sort of the backloaded divisional schedule or would you like to see things maybe a little more balanced in that regard? I hate the four and five games thing. I just think, it's- Oh, I agree. I agree with you on that. I, I, I like why this couldn't be, if you're going to do back to backs, like why not do one at labor day? Like, I mean, two back to backs, I think is silly. 
Like, why mm-hmm. can't why couldn't you just do this game against the Argos and then go look at the the next time like the Thai Cats host the Red Blacks or play the Red Blacks? Like, why couldn't that have been like? Why don't you flop those where the Argos yeah. come? You know what I mean? Like, and I know you know making the schedule is tough, but yeah, I I think some of this is I I, I will one hundred percent I think that this four and five weeks is is kind of stupid. But but I'm with you on the you know playing your your division down the stretch. I like that. I love that idea. I think you should play, you know, each team twice and then, you know, your divisional rivals three times or whatever like that. But um, the four and five game, like the, the Argos versus the Tiger Cats is supposed to be special, mm-hmm. right? You, let's spread that out a little bit. Like, yeah. if you're playing the same team four to five weeks, like it's not special. It's like, ah, these guys again? Like, really? I, I absolutely hate that scheduling. Um you know, I'll watch the games and, and they'll be great and everything like that. But I just think it it's a bad look to, to it. This isn't like baseball. This isn't mm-hmm. hockey. You know, it, it's just not meant to be that way. And I know it's a nine team league, but you can spread it out better than this. It's just I don't know if they had like maybe COVID in mind and they wanted to like limit the traveling or, you know, to save money or something like that. But um, I just hope in the future we don't get anything like this again, because it's just, I just don't like it. Yeah. I'm fine with the unbalanced schedule. Like this year, I mean, it sucks for you. Cause I, I don't think Hamilton yeah, goes to I want to see, I want to see my team play. Yeah. So Hamilton like, doesn't I, go to yeah. Edmonton. And I don't think BC comes to Hamilton. I'm, I'm okay with an unbalanced schedule. I'm okay with, with Hamilton playing. I mean, a, every a, team should play every, like nine team league. How are you not playing every team? Like, I mean, when, if we ever get to a 10 team league, I have the perfect schedule that involves not playing it. Like you play every team, but you don't play every team twice. Right. Like, because, because yeah. then, well, and I mean, I mean, we're probably a decade away from having that conversation, but I don't, because then you're just, if you play every team twice, you're literally playing just every team twice. And if that's the case, then scrap divisions. And I like divisions. I think it, it promotes rivalry and stuff like that, but that's another, di- di- maybe that's an off season topic that we can have my ideal 18 game schedule with 10 teams, but and I'm okay with, with not like, I'm okay with BC not coming. I'm okay with one West team every year, not coming here and one East team, not going West every year. I'm okay with that. I'm even like, like, do you remember? I think it was 20, 2015. The last two games of the year was Ottawa and Hamilton. They both went into that last game, 10 and six. And it was like, this is a two game series essentially to decide who gets the bye and who has to play in the semifinal. And that was the year Zach Caleros got hurt. I think it's a much different story if, if Caleros is healthy, but that's a, we've talked about that injury now for seven years. We don't, I don't think we have to talk about it anymore, but I thought that that was fabulous. It's like, okay, you got these two teams are the top two teams in division. They're playing on the last two weeks of the year. I don't mind the back-to-backs. What we're talking about here is two back-to-backs in the span of five games. And that's where, and even, even the sixth game, it's, Montreal, Toronto, Toronto, Montreal, Toronto, Toronto. You couldn't have thrown a, a Red Blacks. Like, and it was like, it went Red Blacks, Lions, Montreal, Toronto. Like, I understand there's only so many teams, but a, a little diversity mm-hmm. in scheduling. Like, if you look at the schedule, they play the they play the Red Blacks back-to-back at the end of the season. One in Hamilton, one in Ottawa. Why couldn't you have taken one of those Ottawa games, put it into one of these like the next week that Argos come to Hamilton, why couldn't that be against Ottawa? And then the, that last week or second to last week of the schedule, it's the tie cats hosting the Argos. And then you, you still get your four games. You still get your, your labor day ish back to back, which I'm fine with. I, I, most teams do the back to back labor day stuff. Cause it's, it's fair. Every team has the same amount of rest, yada, 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 but you still get your four Argos games. You just don't have them concentrate. 
Because after Labor Day, they don't see the Argos again until potentially in the playoffs. And, I mean, if you want marquee matchups, that's that's one of the top five most marquee matchups you yeah. can get in this league. Yeah. And they're, they're the ideal, like, Hamilton versus September. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go no, ahead. they're basically burning through them before basically September is even here. We're, we're going to be halfway through the season, a little over halfway through the season, and we're done with the Argos. Seems a little silly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd love to see a schedule where we open up against the Argonauts. We play the Argonauts on Labor Day, and then we play the Argonauts on Thanksgiving. I think that would be perfect. It's spaced out. Um, you could, you know, you make a tr- tradition out of the the Thanksgiving uh, matchup, which would be fabulous. Uh, but yeah, I just like I remember years ago they had they played Hamilton played Winnipeg like three yep. weeks in a row, and I just they absolutely a- hated that. They played them four games in the first – they called it the best four to seven, which was not exactly true. They played them four times in the first seven weeks of the season. I was just, I was going to bring that up as well. That I hated that as well. Hamilton won three of the four, so that was nice. But, yeah. yeah it, and then they were done with Winnipeg for the rest of the year. Yeah, There's, it's, uh, it's there, interesting. There, could be, there, there needs to be improvement in the scheduling, I think. Yep. And I know that I know that they when they make the schedule, they, they're, they're dealing with things like stadium availability and all that. But at some point, I think you have to – you have to get away from this. And maybe the COVID thing is is why. They wanted to limit travel. They do all these back-to-backs. Teams are are not exposing themselves because we've seen some – some the riders had COVID issues. I know the Ticats have had players out with quote-unquote illnesses, which they never divulge what it actually is. But I think, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we kind of know what the an illness means. I just think that maybe that COVID thing could, could hold some water. But I don't know. After At some point, you got to get back to – COVID, uh, we have to live, learn to live with COVID. Like, it's been almost, we're, we're into the third year of this now. Vaccines are available. Like, I don't want to get into a, you know, COVID ramp. But anyway, we just have to learn to live with it. We have to get back to things going seemingly normal. I guess we're sort of there with the CFL. But yeah, this uh, this four and five is, it's, it's a little much. But uh, I guess we'll move on. Let's talk about player awards. So at three down last week, a bunch of us cast our ballots for, the CFL awards at the one third point of the season. I, in the interest of transparency, made my ballot public on Twitter. I'll do so here. I chose Zach Caleros as MOP. Pete Robertson as most outstanding defensive player. Nathan Rourke as top Canadian. Dalton Schoen as top rookie. Stanley Bryant as most outstanding offensive lineman. And someone, I think, I can't remember who it was, but someone was like, because it's, it's M-O-O-L, Mool. And someone was like, there is no Stanley Bryant. There is only Mool as a joke from Ghostbusters. <laughs> it yeah. popped me. I laughed so hard at that. I was like, that is excellent. And then lastly, I chose Lawrence Woods. Ty Cats Lawrence Woods is most outstanding special teams player. The only one that I personally really had a hard time deciding between was most outstanding player between Caleros and Nathan Rourke. And that seems to be a debate that a lot of people are having right now with some saying Rourke has vastly outplayed Caleros. The two have equalish numbers, but Rourke has played two fewer games than Caleros has while others point to Caleros still being excellent. And of course the bombers being eight, no, and kind of showing no signs of, of slowing down at all. Obviously we still have a ways to go before this needs to be decided on. But as of right now, Mike, which player do you think is more deserving or most deserving, I should say, of most outstanding player. Is it Rourke? Is it Claros? Or is it someone else completely? I think if you would have asked me a couple of weeks ago, I would have said Rourke mm-hmm. uh, because obviously he had an outstanding start to the season. But I think Zach Claros in the last couple of weeks has really, really improved his game, um, especially in the last game. Like that touchdown pass to Sean in the back of the end zone was a thing of beauty. I think he's just getting better and better as the games go on. 
Um, not exactly the hottest start to the season, but um, as of right now, I'd say that Zach Claris is in the lead. I know that he, you know, Rourke has two games on him, but, you know, if you look at the passing yards, Claros is leading. Um, he's only one touchdown pass behind Rourke with two less games. And like you mentioned, the, the Bombers are undefeated. So, and I know that, you know, QB wins aren't a real stat uh, that, you know, you've pushed that for years. And I agree with you on that. But I think that um, obviously they can assist in the win. And I think Claros has played tremendously, especially in the last couple of weeks. So I'd give the slight nod to Claros. Yeah, I think quarterback wins are, it's not a determining factor for me, but it is, if things are mostly equal and one team's 15 and three and the other team's 11 and seven, I'm more apt to go with the better team because if the numbers are similar ish now, I know some people are saying like workers on pace for 60 total touchdowns. And I've been guilty of doing the, well, if you extrapolate this over a full season, he's doing this, but you, he's not going to keep like he had a, such a tremendous start those first three or four weeks. And it's not like he's come back down to earth. Like he's still been really good, but mm-hmm. he had a not so great performance. I think against the tie cats, he, he struggled a bit against Ottawa. Like, and this is going to happen. Like he, he came out of the gates so hot that it was like, Holy smokes. Like he, and I don't think he got too much hype, but I, I think it was warranted. Cause he looked so good, especially that first week against 17. He was just like, no one saw that coming. So it's like, okay, hold on. Right. Did we, did we, and he also had the assistant of his running back who was just lights yes. out in those first couple of weeks as well. Yeah. Uh, was it James Butler? I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Like, and the lions, you know, the last two years they missed the playoffs. They had Michael Riley those last two seasons. They at one point, I think it was 2019, they were one in ten at like with Riley, they're one in ten. They obviously weren't very good last year. So people are thinking they they had he's he's got maybe one of the three worst coaches in the league in Rick Campbell. Like there's a lot of things going up against BC. I think I know I had BC in last. I don't know, I don't remember. I might you know what? I do have our preseason. I think uh, I had them in third. I you believe. might have had them in third. I have our preseason oh. stuff here. Uh, you did. You had BC finishing in third, which is actually exactly where they might finish. I had them in fifth. I had them winning five games. I've already won four, so that's probably not likely to happen. But, uh, yeah, he came out of the gate so hot, and I think he's still I, – I guess maybe at the one-third point of the season, because this was before last week's games, maybe I was wrong in giving it to Caleros, but – I also sometimes look at these things and rightly or wrongly, who's the, who's the incumbent and has anyone done enough to knock them off the pedestal? Like you go like, and again, this is all just subjective opinion, right? Like at the end of the year, we'll have some real numbers that everyone's played the same amount of games and we'll be able to decide this. But it's sort of like with power rankings. I know people hate power rankings because it's like, well, my team's this and your team's this. So why are they ahead? Blah, 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 blah. You go into a season, unless it's, like, unless it's one of those years where the Argos went 9-9-1 and one, or the Red Blacks went 1-8 wins and one, you kind of go into the next season going, I'm going to give the defending champs the benefit of the doubt going into the new season unless they made some, like, drastic change. Like, they, their starting quarterback retired or their head coach retired. You know what I mean? Like, aside from something major happening to the team, you kind of go, I'm going to give the team that we last saw. Like, going into this season, did anyone think that Winnipeg wasn't the best team to start the year? Like, we're, like we obviously know now they are 8-0, but going into the year, like, look what they did last year. They they rolled. Like, they're clearly the best team right now. There's no reason to, to not put them atop your power rankings. I kind of look at that the same, like, and I know it's a different season, but I kind of look at the same, like, has 
start to start the year, Caleros was kind of the not shoe in, but like I kind of okay. If everything stays equal and everything plays out similar to last year, Caleros is going to win MOP again. So it's like we start there. At least that's how I start. Has anyone done enough? Rourke is the only one that's come close to doing enough to knock him off. I think it's really close. I really do. And I, I don't think there's a wrong answer between these two. I think it really is whoever wins the West award between these two guys as of right now is going to win the league award. Like, I don't think there's a, a player in the East. Like who, who would you have even from the four teams in the East that could even compete with these guys? Like there's nobody. So maybe I'm wrong. Like uh, maybe my methodology is, is not the greatest. Maybe that's why, but I, I really do think that get everything being equal, Claros is just a, a skosh. I, I mean, it's the slimmest of Mark. I could be con- I could be convinced to vote for Rourke. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it's that close yeah. between these two. But Same. I, I'm just, I just think I'm more apt to go, okay, the guy who just won. I know it's boring back-to-back MOPs, but, like, the Bombers are so damn good. And they've been so good since he got there. Like, he's the catalyst because they were an okay team before they got him. They've, I think he's lost like two starts. Mm-hmm. And I know, again, quarterback wins not a thing. But he's been so good since he arrived in Winnipeg. It's hard to kind of knock him off his perch right now as the league's top player. At least that's how I see it. Now you got Caleros and Rourke leading the league in passing yards. One and two. Uh, same with passing touchdowns. Who's in third in both of those categories? Take a guess. Passing yards, I think it would be Dane Evans. Yeah. Is it? It can't be Evans and touchdown passes, can it? Yep. He's got nine. He's tied with uh, Pedro. Really? Yeah. So he's, and he's, he's, and he's one, having a terrible season. Yeah. He's got 1,926 yards passing and nine touchdown passes. So he's having a terrible season. And he's still right behind the best quarterbacks in the league. So what does that tell you? I mean, if he... You know, if he keeps improving, then he could be, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to say he's going to win MOP, but he could be he could be close to the to the Caleroses and the the Nathan Rourke's of the world. So hopefully that uh, turns out the way we want it. It's funny to think, though, because if you watch the games, you wouldn't say he's the third best quarterback in the league right now. Now, granted, no. I don't know who you would say it is. Yeah. Because, I mean, Bo, you'd probably Bo, go with yeah, Bo. Yeah, you'd right? probably go with Bo. Yeah. OK, I'm sorry. But, yeah, but, you know, the funny thing is Bo's seventh in passing yards and uh sixth in passing touchdowns huh i mean both Bo, thing has never really been big stat like obviously he's sure. went to mops and he had some really good stats those years he's been it's not a game man like i mean bo's bo bo gets the benefit of the doubt and i mean he's he's been hurt the last couple of years and that's kind of what knocked him down the pedestal it's mm-hmm. weird though because this year i think like right now i think you say that there's three really good teams winnipeg calgary bc and then six teams that I can't make hide nor hair of. Like, mm-hmm. I know the Riders have four wins. Do you think they're demonstrably better? Like, I mean, we just saw the Argos wax them twice. One, obviously, the COVID thing. But still, they lost two games in a row to them. We've seen uh, the outlets beat them. The Ticats got crushed by them at the start of the season. But right now, if they were to play, it, I might side with the Ticats. Like, there's, I think there's truly, I don't even know if I'd say two bad teams. Because I don't know if... I, I still think the Elks, like at that group of six there, outside of the top three, they're all kind of one hodgepodge of junk. Like, I don't think there's one standout yeah. team, and I don't think there's one truly, like, I think they're all in that sort of mediocre to just 
worse than mediocre. And that's not to say that they can leap out of that. But yeah, you're right. At this moment in time, for sure. For sure. For sure. But yeah, and that's what kind of makes the MOP. Because like you you bring up Dane's stats, but it's like if you watch the games. Yeah, it doesn't say his turnovers and all that on this uh, stat sheet right here. So yeah, but if you take those away, then we're probably sitting, you know, at the top of the league, right? So you take those turnovers away, but obviously you can't. So this is well, I mean, if if you take the turnovers away, they beat Calgary, they beat Edmonton, and now Mm -hmm. that two and five record is four and three. Like that, they would have, they would, they they still would have lost to the Riders, even turnovers or not. They were, and they still would have lost to uh, what's the other team? They, uh, Winnipeg. So those losses would have still been there. But yeah, I mean, the BC game was there for the taking. Like yeah. bounces go the right way for this team. And again, I think every team with a with a bad record can say this. Bounces go when the Tie Cats are five and two and not two and five. But that's why, that's why you got to play the games because stuff like that happens. Uh, okay, so. It's been a while since we've done one of these, Mike, so I th- I thought it would be fun. We thought it would be fun to pop open the old mailbag and see what some of the fans want us to talk about. So you're you're our mailman extraordinaire. Why don't you take it away? Alrighty, I shall do that. Um, you can edit this. Give me a second. I had it popped up, and then it disappeared when I opened it. Here, <laughs> here we go. I had it already, already all professional and everything. Okay. Uh, the first one's from Fender Guy 69, Lamar Durant. I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, what was what's up with that? Like, not a single target week his first week back. That's that's a little weird, no? It is very weird for a guy that's supposed to be, you know, your number one Canadian receiver to not get a ball thrown his way is is quite strange. So maybe they're just easing him into the offense, and we'll see more production out of him, you know, in the following games. I'm hoping so, anyways. I think they're going to have to get some uh, with with Turnowski going down. I think they're going to need to see more out of out of Durant. I think he's capable of it, but he's a guy that I'm going to keep my eye on this week against the Argos because it was uh, to say it was a lackluster debut in black and gold. I think would be a tremendous understatement for Lamar Durant. From Hammy A Hall, if you could be Bob Young for one day, what changes to the Ticats would you make? Hmm, what changes would I make? I'd lower the the price of the merchandise. Um, oh geez yeah i mean that's just uh i don't know i don't know if he i don't know if he has yeah to say he he doesn't have the power to do it i don't know but yeah cfl merchandise tie cats merchandise way too expensive and if the problem is though we're suckers we pay it like i bought a new tie cat t-shirt a couple of weeks ago i bought one of those uh like the the h the hammer h with the hammer yeah i bought i bought one of those with like 55 bucks and it's like why am i buying like if I, I went know. to if I went to any other store and they had a fifty five dollar t shirt, I'd tell them to get the F out. Get I'm not lost. paying for that. Then I'm like, oh, it's a nice shirt. I haven't bought a tie cat shirt in a few years. Like, okay. Like, I usually get like sometimes like with the comes tie cat merch, I'll buy like a hat, maybe a shirt every year. Like I haven't bought a jersey in forever. But it's like, oh, okay. Like I like it. It's it's that dry fit material that I really enjoy. But it's like, holy smokes, like it's way like we, we, me and my friends, we'll, we'll go into this, like, we go into the shop, especially when it's hot out, because even just to get away from the heat at the start of the game, but we'll walk into the shop and we'll be, we'll like grab an item and be like, let's guess the price. And when it's, when it's, it's very rare that we guess under what it actually, like, or we guess, mm-hmm. un, yeah, it's very rare we guess what under, usually it's like, we'll say like, oh, this hoodie's 85 bucks. And it's like, it's 110. There's, yeah. there's the rare instance where like, oh, this is probably $90. And it's like, no, it's only 65. And it's like, yeah. 
it it is too much. What would I you so you you do merch? What would I do? Um, I might. I might try to do more. And again, these, these, like, I don't think there's like major, I don't think you have to make, like, I don't know if he wants us to be like, well, I would fire Scott Mitchell or I completely revamped mm. the coach. That like, I, I think I, I think I'd probably try to do more like pre and halftime stuff, like pregame stuff and halftime. Like it feels, Oh no, you know what I do? Just I do more for season ticket holders. When I first became, and I, maybe this is a little selfish on my part, but when I first became a Ticat season ticket holder, and I understand they've got a digital tickets. I don't need a ticket book. I, I have all my old ones. And I mean, one day maybe I'll do something with them, but I don't need like that. I'm fine with the digital tickets. That that's we're saving the environment. I mean, it's not doing much, but whatever. Now again, we're get, I, I'm getting weirdly political this week and I'm not trying to, but I understand not, not giving everyone a bunch of glossy tickets. I'm okay with that. And I'm all even okay if they want to make them and, and they may want to make fans picture. That's cool too. I, that doesn't bother me, but we used to get like, like you get a 10% discount at the store and on concessions, and that's about all you get as a season ticket holder now. There's not a whole heck of a lot of perks aside from you bought your season tickets and you know you're going to sit in your seat for a game. But that was kind of important when they were selling out every home game. Now they're at around the 20 to 21,000 mark. There's seats, and most people don't sit in their seats. So it's like just buy a ticket anywhere and just go sit wherever the heck you It's almost like the old Iver Wind days where. You just grab a grab the cheapest ticket you can find and go find the hole in the in the in the st- seating and you just go sit wherever you want. I think I would try to do more for season ticket holders. I think I would try to make make it. There should be more incentive because how many times I don't know if you've noticed this, but I, as being both a Thai Cats and a Ford season ticket holder, I see so many times where they give discounts to people, like they just had for Ford. It's like oh buy an adult seat and get a kid seat for ten dollars or something along those lines. And it's like my friend went to buy two tickets for a couple of kids to come with us, and they were like, okay, those will be full price. And he's like, well, hold on. If I wasn't a season seat holder, I'd be getting these tickets for a tremendous discount. Why don't I get that as a season? Like, you have mm-hmm. my money. You know, like, and we're, we have no plans of giving those up. Like, we're going to be going to these games probably, like, there's a good chance one of us is going to have a heart attack and die in our seats. I mean, especially this year with how heart attack inducing the Ticats can be. But you know what I mean? Like, I'm joking, obviously, but you know what I mean? Like, we're going to do this until we can't do it any longer. And and that's going to take decades. They don't really do much outside. Like, they, they mentioned, like, there was a, on Monday, there was a season seat holder, quote unquote, autograph signing that they put the link up on Twitter for anyone to click on. And it's like, well, if it's only for season, and again, I don't think that, you, you know, there's not a different class of fan, whether you're a season seat holder, you're a casual observer who buys tickets once or twice a year, or you watch every game at home. Like, I don't think being one or the other makes you better, but I do feel as if there's something that you should be giving season ticket holders a little extra for being that loyal's the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Like you're, you're that, you're that person who's every year is forking over money. I feel like there should be some sort of per it would honestly, you know, what would have been simple for me if they would have said this whole Slurpee cup debacle Every we have purchased one for every single season seat holder that we have, and if you when you come to Game X, go up to a kiosk, show them your season ticket card or whatever, and you get your free cup. Something like it's it's simple stuff. I don't need something massive, you know what I mean? But just something to show that they appreciate the people who buy tickets year in and year out and are always there. I think there should be something for them. That that might be the change that I would try to make. Now, do you feel like Bob Young, when he first came in, you know, there was there was so much effort 
uh, going mm-hmm. into, you know, making the fans happy, yep. um, all that good stuff. You know, even me, even I, as a, you know, a non-season ticket holder at the time, noticed the changes in the stadium, noticed, you know, people greeting you in the stands and stuff like that. Just little changes like that. Do you feel like Bob Young and the ownership group has kind of gotten away from that? Like they're not as involved as they once were. They're, they don't care as much about accommodating the fans. I don't know if I'd say they don't care as much, but I do think they've gotten a little lazy in, mm-hmm. I think, I think a lot of it's post Tim Hortons field. I think yeah. they got the fancy new stadium. And for a few years, that's like, you got to remember when they opened that stadium, they were coming off the year way in Guelph where they had went to the gray cup for the first time in 14 years. So you're riding high off a gray cup appearance that no one expected. They were in Guelph that year. No one thought they'd go. You got this brand new stadium. And he had built up enough goodwill over the years. He's the guy that saved the franchise. He's still, and, and I, I don't, like, we've talked about it on the show a bunch of times. There would be no Hamilton Tiger Cats without Bob Young. He mm-hmm. saved the franchise. So he, he engendered a lot of goodwill, and that's sort of kept it going. Like, you remember when he bought the team? I have a five-year plan. Well, we're in year 15 of that five-year plan, Bob. Like, we're, we're approaching 20 years of that five-year plan. But there's still, there's never really any heat on him. Because mm-hmm. people are still thinking we would not be he's in the, these. He's seasons. the friendly, and he's the friendly There's caretaker, that too. right? There's that yeah. too. There's, I mean, and you know, talking about you know, good billionaires. Mm-hmm. It, we we've had that discussion before. Again, yes. again, getting weirdly political today. Yes. I, but I don't, I don't necessarily. I do think that there's been a laziness that has set in, and I think it it all revolved around the new stadium. You got this fancy new stadium. People were coming to the games just to see the new place. That was seven years ago, eight years ago. Like that has, it was eight years. Holy crap. It's eight years ago. It'll be eight years on Labor Day that Tim Hortons Field has been open. The mystique of the new stadium is gone. It's, it's not, it doesn't have like the, the history of Ivor Wynn, but it's no longer this brand new thing that, that attracts people to the games. They've done a lot. They've done a lot to cater to a younger crowd, which is good. Like the, the party areas and the, the open end zones and all that stuff. And that's good. But I do think that for, and I don't know if they've necessarily, they don't care about the fans. Cause I think that, I mean, they would never say it even if they did. I just think they've gotten a tad lazy over the years. Like I said, when I started, when I was a first, first time season ticket holder up until probably maybe the first year after Tim Hortons field, I would get this cool little box with a bunch, like, and some of the stuff I wouldn't use, but it was like, here's a, a bo- like all our sponsors have coupons in here that you can go use. You want a free set of tires or you want to, you know, go to a restaurant. Here's like a free appetizer. If you buy an on set of tires, holy moly. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like I, I don't, I don't entirely remember what, it, what they were, but yeah, a yeah. lot of the things I wouldn't use, but at the mm. same time it was, it was something it showed like, okay, we're making an attempt to maybe, maybe I'll see if I can dig out my old season tickets and we'll, like, we can talk about this off the top next week, but there were, there were attempts to kind of, not curry favor with the fandom, but they, they tried stuff and whether it worked or didn't work, like what have you, I do feel like if it's gotten a little stale, it's gotten a little, like I said, lazy, they've gotten a little lazy when it comes to appreciating the the fans, I think maybe a little more than they should. have. And I think that we're not the only franchise that that's happened to. I think that that, that's, you know, I've heard things in Saskatchewan that, uh, you know, they're not treated the best. These two teams, especially, think that their fans are always going to be there because there's really nothing else in town. That's not entirely true of Hamilton anymore. No. If you're a sports fan, there's a basketball team here. There's a junior hockey team here. There's a soccer team here. 
all of which are pretty darn successful. And I know they'll never get to the tie cats level, like maybe in a hundred years, if they, if they're still around and we're obviously long gone, they'll have reached that level. But there are other options now in this city. You're not so far from Toronto. Like, I just think that, that those two franchises in particular feel as if they, like you can't, I don't think you can get away with something like that. I mean, especially like Toronto, I don't want to get into the Toronto fan thing, but you know what I mean? Like you want to do your best and BMO is a great, they have great, they have just great. I love BMO field anyway, but you know what I mean? Like there's those, fa- those teams, Montreal, BC teams like that. They have to do something. Look at Edmonton. Edmonton didn't do a bunch of stuff. And now they're trying to do a whole heck of a lot of stuff. Like, yeah, I, I, th- I think if they, if they, tr- even if you try something and fail, I'm okay with that. You try something that didn't work out. Oh, well, at least you gave it an honest effort. I just feel like those two teams, like you brought up the riders, like th- these two teams in particular, Hamilton and, and Saskatchewan, just, I think they almost kind of feel as if their fans are so loyal, so diehard that they don't have to try to keep them. And I think mm-hmm. that that's, uh, that's the absolute worst thing a sports team can do because after a certain amount of time, people are going to find other things to do. Yeah, and I just want to go back to the merch thing for just a second. And you mentioned, you know, we're going to buy it no matter what the price is. But that's what they've done with tickets over the years yeah. in certain markets. And it just people just stop buying because they feel like it's too expensive. Now, I think that they're going in the right direction, you know, offering cheaper tickets in certain stadiums, which I think is great. But uh, you don't want to overprice, you know, nope. because that just turns people off. So. They should they should think about that. I think. I think we talked about merchandise. I, I brought it up because there was there was we were talking about. It. I I know me me and my buddy at, at one of the games were talking about merchandise prices. And I know I brought it up in the pod. To me, I would rather tickets be more expensive and merchandise be cheaper. And if I was the team, I would want that because if your fans are wearing your t-shirts Monday through Friday and come to the game on Saturday. That's five days of essentially free advertisement. You see someone in a tie cat shirt, like let's let's say you're a casual football fan. You see someone, you know about the tie cats in Hamilton. You know about the Elks in Edmonton. You see a dude wearing a tie cats hat, and you're feeling like, oh, I feel like parking up a conversation. I, again, this is obviously a made up scenario, but oh, is there a game this week? Yeah, they they play on Saturday. Could, you know what I mean? Like it it's yeah. keeping the 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 product in people's minds, even if they don't necessarily realize it's in their minds. You see a bunch of Ticats logos, see a bunch of Elks logos, Argos logos, what have you around the the city. Maybe people, again, maybe I'm pie in the sky, but maybe people are more apt to sample the product or come back to the product or, you know what I mean? Give, give the product more of their attention. And I think that's where you come $20 t-shirts, 30, $30 t-shirts. It's the 60 and $70 stuff that just like, Oh, you know what? Yeah, it, it it was when the jerseys were released. Those those new jerseys were two hundred fifty. Right. Yeah, that's what it was. It it, to, yeah, two hundred fifty. To yeah. me, it's it's just it's an astronomical number. It's it's mm-hmm. they they are pricing themselves uh, now. I would I will never see them, but I would love to see merchandise sale totals because I'm the reason they're doing it is because people are obviously paying for it and they're not doing too poorly. But there's a lot of times when you go on that Ty Cat store that you see a bunch of stuff on clearance and it's things that were at one point you know one hundred and sixty bucks and mm-hmm. now they're 90 and then they go down to 40 and it's like now granted they're probably still making a profit because those things cost next to nothing to produce but yeah i i think even if you rose like had to raise ticket prices to match like the loss in revenue quote unquote for merchandise i think lowering merchandise price is a smarter thing to do that's my opinion that was the first question was it not yes no no <laughs> second 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 oh, okay all right so we'll move on uh ba johnstone 
Who is the worst tie cat mascot and why is it stripes? Now I'll jump in here. My guy is TC. I grew up with TC. He's my guy, so I can pick any other. Like stripes is not really my mascot. No, TC's my here. guy, so I'll I'll say stripes. I'll say Jason the Argonaut's the worst mascot. I know he's the tie cat's mascot, but we're no. Okay, the, that's fair. Jason, you don't like Jason the Argonaut? No, he's got blue skin. He's you don't got, like the you don't like Punter either, do you? I don't know. I think they might have got rid of Punter here. In, oh, uh, Punter? No, I did not care. No, I did not care for Punter. No, I, I know they got rid of the. Um, but yeah, yeah, Stripes. Yeah, I'm with you though. Like, TC was TC was my guy when I was a kid too. Yep. Stri- Stripes is Stripes is not my guy. So no. I guess I guess it's, I guess they got guess, that bouncy guy too, right? Yeah, yeah. What was his name? Is it Tiny or Paws? It, yeah, Paws maybe. Yeah, I, he yeah. was. That was a weird one because. He was really small. It was that was a very bizarre mm-hmm. mascot. But no, I'll go with Stripes. But no, Jason the Argonaut's the worst. Blue skin man? No, I'm not. I'm not into that. I'm not into I'm not into Smurf Argonauts. Get out of here. The next one comes from FM Fan Nine with two thirds of season left, and most are East versus East and West versus East. Do you think there will be a crossover, and who do you think will finish there in the standings? Well, we kind of did discuss that. If there's a crossover, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be the Riders. Yeah, uh, I think so too. If there's not, I think Ottawa gets third in the East. I really do think the Red Blacks will do enough to take over the Alouettes. Wow, okay. Uh, next one's from Tiger Sammy. You didn't answer. Next what about you? Uh, let's see here. Well, I think I'm I'm with you. I th- I think I think there will be a crossover. I just don't think that there's going to be. I think there'll be two teams that are good enough in the East, and then you'll have BC, Winnipeg, Calgary, Saskatchewan, and I think Saskatchewan will be that crossover team. All right. Uh, FM fan nine. Oh wait, sorry, that was the last one. Was Tiger like, was Sammy. Last one? Yeah, Tiger Sammy. Next five games against Toronto and Montreal. Who? What do you see the record being? Am I being too confident in thinking we can go five and zero oh in those games? Yeah, five and zero oh is a little much for I. The teams won two of their first seven. I, I feel as if predicting them to go what would what would then be six and zero oh over a six game span is maybe a little. Little too optimistic. I, I said at the start of this six game run that they'd go four and two. So they've won one. I think three and two over the next five isn't out of the question. I, I think come back to the we'll come back. Obviously, we're gonna talk about the Argos Ticats game, but in a week, if they beat the Argos, I think there's a chance that they go five and one over this stretch. So because I don't think they're gonna lose to Toronto at home. I think they'll beat the Argos twice at home. And they've already beat the Owls at home. So there's your there's three of, of the six. If they can steal one in Toronto, especially this week, going into Montreal, I think they could beat the Owls there. Now we're talking maybe going four and one over the next five, maybe even five and zero. Oh. But th- this week will be the the telltale sign for me. What about you? I think that going five and zero oh is a bit too confident, but I think I think it's possible. I I do, and I know that's you know maybe a stupid thing for me to say, but yeah. I just like you know the Argonauts, and I know I picked the Argonauts to be first in the East this year. But I'm just, you know, I keep waiting on McLeod Bethel Thompson to be that consistent quarterback, and it's oh, just you're going to be waiting. Happen. On- it's just not going to happen. I just, I figured that out, and you know, I, I know a lot of other people figured it out way before I did. But you know, after last week's game, I just think he is who he is. He's going to be an up and down guy, and he's going to make he's going to make some mistakes. He's going to make some overthrows, and I just don't think they're going to be that competitive. I think Hamilton's a better team, like. Not necessarily right now, but on paper, I think they're probably a better team. And I think on the field, they can be much better because I think our quarterback is much better. I agree. And I think we're we're close and, in, in, you know, or better 
in in the position groups. So do I think they're going to go five and zero? Probably not, but I could see you know four and one or something like that. And I wouldn't be totally shocked if they did go five and zero. Well, I guess we'll have to. I mean, we will be paying attention obviously over the next five weeks. But uh, yeah, we got. Uh, I mean, I hope they do, but but let's see what they do this week, and then we'll come we'll come we'll back to how, how I feel about the rest of the rest of the four games. All right, uh, at NA Cat sixty three, uh, why are so many obvious calls being missed by the refs? causing coaches to waste challenge flags. Why can't the command center be involved when there is a controversial call? I mean, we kind of discussed the... Did we discuss the flags or did I discuss... I think we, we talked about it on the We did, the we did. We talked show. about the catch, the Eugene Lewis catch. Yeah. That needed to be challenged. And I understand that the the uh, not wanting to have everything looked at by replay. Like, I'm starting to side with the whole, like, let's just turf replay at all. Let's let the call on the field. If it if it's blown on the field, so be it. But we've seen some pretty egregious missed calls this year. And I think it boils down to the CFL referees just aren't good enough. It's a part-time gig. Some of them are, are excellent. Don't get me wrong. I know people don't like them, but I think Andre Pru is a fantastic referee. I think people don't like him simply because of his accent. I, mm-hmm. I'm going to go on record as saying that. I think, I think there's a bias against French Canadians. Uh, yep. I think that that's part of the reason that he gets so much disrespect because I most of the time think he's he's a phenomenal official. I just think that some of the other guys like Al Bradbury, Al Bradbury might be the worst referee in, in all of sports. And he just I, I think this last week, his 350th game in the CFL and his crews and him in particular are just are amongst the worst in the league. I don't think it's necessarily like everyone's like, oh, he's against their team. It's not that I think it's just I think it's just these guys aren't good enough. And I think we're so used to, you know what? I, I shouldn't even say that because everyone complains about referees in every sport. Everyone yep. complains about umpires in baseball. Everyone complains about, I think it, maybe there was a little more accountability with the referees if they like had to answer for calls or there was some sort of like, I know in MLB, they, they have like a, a report card on umpires that's made public after every game. If there was something like that, because we know these guys get graded because that's how they get gray cup and playoff. Uh, Put them on uh, the podium. Yeah, like let's let's have them and I understand there needs to be like, you know, who watches the watchman sort of thing. But I feel like if there was some sort of accountability and not just the, you know, a, a memo from the league after oh, they blew that call. Let's see something. Now, to whether replay needs to get involved more, I advocated for that last week, especially on the Eugene Lewis catch. And more thinking about it, it's like, how, where do we draw the line on what the replay official mm-hmm. can call down on? You know, there yeah, needs we've been here, you know, like, yeah, we've with the pass interference challenges and all mm-hmm. the challenges they had. And, you know, we, we, it was unbearable. It was it was really, really hard to watch with all that stoppage in the game. But I just think, you you know, you get what you pay for. These guys are probably, like you said, part time employees. Yep. They're probably criminally underpaid. So that's just the way it is. And there's some good ones out there and there's some bad ones. And it's like that in every league. So, you know, calls are going to be missed. and it's, it's, It sucks, but it's just the way it is. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's sports, man. That's sports. Yep. Uh, at Strange Breed, do you see the Cats keeping Dane Evans during the entire last quarter, the next few games after almost playing, paying for, what is it? Almost paying for pulling him at the last game. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, almost, almost paying, paying for okay. pulling him in the last yeah. game. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, I think they're going two quarterbacks and I, yeah. I, I crunched the numbers cause I did a piece on whether this two quarterback thing could work. It's over on three down. Now 
Evans played about double the snaps. No, actually played more than double the snaps that Schiltz did. But they're going with these two quarterbacks. And whether that's going to work over the long run is up for debate. The proof will be in the results. Uh, Whether this leads to maybe a change at quarterback or a change in philosophy at, at after the season, that's something that might be, it, it could be a discussion that we're having because they are paying Dane Evans over $400,000 a year to be the guy. And now they're using two quarterbacks. Maybe that's something that the team will look into at the end of the season. Cause if you're going to use two quarterbacks, why are you paying one that much when you can get, you know, get it, go get a Vernon Adams and a Matthew Schiltz and use them both. You're going to pay Vernon Adams. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. that's sort of, that's sort of a question mark in my mind. If, uh, if you're going to pay one guy that much money, I think he's the fifth highest paid quarterback in the league. Fifth highest paid player, because I think the top like seven, six or seven players, maybe even the top eight players are all quarterbacks. That's a discussion we might be having in the off season, but no, I, I don't, I think that this, this team's going to run two quarterbacks until it stops working. And I, yeah, it, it might not work. I mean, the second it stops working, I think they'll go away from it. But right now, since they started doing it after their bye week, they've won two of their last three games. So, and very nearly won the third. I think we're gonna. It, it worked very effectively against against Montreal, even though like like was was asked, it did almost cost them at the end. I don't think the team's gonna go away from this anytime soon. What about you? Yeah, I don't think they are either. Um, I I don't like it. Uh, but it's not my decision to make. So I think mm-hmm. you will be seeing Schultz in the fourth quarter and Dane in the fourth quarter. Um, I hate when Schultz come in, comes in, you know, at a crucial time in the fourth, like they're like three minutes, four minutes left in the fourth quarter. You need a drive and they got the backup quarterback in there to throw passes. He's not even that good of a passer. Like from what we've seen, I hate it. I hope they go away from it, but I don't think they will. I think that you'll be seeing this, like you said, until it stops working. Yeah, until they lose a game by like 25 with trying this, then they'll go back to something more traditional. But until then, they've been in all three games, one, two. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And, it, you know, if they win, then they then win. who cares? And then I won't be upset about it. Because here's, here's the thing. In doing the piece, it's not the same, but the Bombers in 2019 kind of ran a two-quarterback system because they threw Chris Trevler. Now, you knew Chris Trevler mm-hmm. was going to run the ball most of the time through the yeah. occasional pass, but... Right. The bombers but that's, used- that's why he was so effective, right? Because he yeah. essentially couldn't pass the ball very well, and he threw a touchdown pass in the Great Cup because everyone thought, everyone thought that he was no run it, right? Yep. So, yeah. So it, 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 it's it, similar, but not the same. No, it's similar, but not the same. Uh, I agree. Schultz is a good runner, but he's not Strebler running, and he's a better passer because, I mean, I think I, I think you throwing I think you throwing left handed was probably a more accurate passer <laughs> than uh, Chris Strebler was. Yeah, but that's it. Uh, that's it for the mailbag this week, Josh. All right, well, let's move on to talking about this upcoming game. The Ticats run through the East Division continues this week, and we get set to have the first of four, as we talked about, yes, four, Argos-Ticats clashes over the next five weeks. This one takes place at BMO Field, the site of last year's East Final triumph of the Ticats over the Argos. Hamilton comes into this game fresh off securing their second win of the season after defeating the Montreal Alouettes last Thursday at Tim Hortons Field, while the Argos limp into this matchup, having suffered an embarrassing 23-13 home loss to the previous, previously winless Ottawa Red Blacks, which saw the home side, the Argos, fail to score a single point in the game's second half. Entering this contest, the Argos sit at 3-3, three and three, while the Ticats are at 2-5. and five. A win would put the Tabbies in a points tie with the Argos at six points each for first place in the East. 
But with the Argos still having a game in hand, that could change when the Ticats take their second bye week after Labor Day. These two teams are going to be very familiar with one another by the end of this month. But what is it that the Ticats need to do to get this four-game series off on the right foot and leave BMO Field on Saturday night with the victory, Mike? To me, it comes down to just shutting shutting down Andrew Harris. Uh, we know what McLeod Bethel-Thompson is, as we just talked about. If you take the running game away from the Toronto Argonauts and make him pass the ball, he's going to make some mistakes. He's going to turn over the ball, and we're going to have chances to capitalize on that. So to me, you have to shut down Andrew Harris, and I think we can do that easily. Easily is... Yeah, that's right, easily. Okay, okay, I'm glad you're that confident. I do think the Ticats can shut down Andrew Harris because we saw them do it last year in mm-hmm. both meetings. Oh, no, he didn't play in the first game again, but in the Grey Cup, we saw him shut him down. And Hamilton's run defense has been phenomenal. And I don't think the Argos, that Grey Cup where Andrew Harris ran all over them, a lot of that was, it was due to Harris's greatness, don't get me wrong, but that Winnipeg offensive line is fantastic. The Argos don't have anywhere near the offensive line that the Bombers had in 2019. Mm-hmm. And Hamilton's rush defense against the best of players. They've shut down William Stanback. They've shut down Kadeem Carey. They've shut down Andrew Harris. I don't think that the rush, the the run defense and, and Harris going for like, you know, 120 and two tugs is, is going to be in the cards. I think Harris is lucky if he gets over 75 rushing yards. And if he has an over four yard per rush average by getting that many, I'll be absolutely shocked. Doing so, though, like you said, makes the Argos one-dimensional. And we've seen McLeod, when McLeod Bethel-Thompson, the game's on his shoulders, not necessarily the guy you want. We saw it last year in the East Final. When it started to turn against Toronto, he started to make mistakes. He misses some wide-open passes. There was a, a throw in the last game against Ottawa that I was when I was watching. And he had, I, I think it was speedy but it might have been one of the other receivers, had him wide open over the middle and just straight up overthrew him. Just straight up missed him by five yards. If that's on target, the touchdown, the Argos probably win that game. I also think that Hamilton, this two-quarterback thing, I, there's more of it on tape now, but I think that there's... We've we've given Condell, and I've said this for the last few weeks, we've given Condell a rough time for his lack of creativity, but over the last three weeks, he's shown... There's some, there's still some bags, some bags in his tricks, some tricks in his bag that he can pull out. This two quarterback thing has worked. The, the mixing things up with, with whether Evans is out there or Schultz is out there has kind of thrown teams a little off kilter. I'm not Corey Mace is a first year defensive coordinator. I am not a fan of Ryan Dinwiddie as a head coach. There's going to be a couple of times in no. this game that he's going to make a, he's going to challenge something stupidly or he's going to, you know what I mean? Like he's going to do something boneheaded. That's going to cost the Argos something. He, we've seen we see it almost every week where he does something that's insane. I don't think Brandon Banks is going to do much against them. I don't think Jagarrett Davis is going to do much against them. And I think if you can frustrate them enough, we've seen Banks already explode on the side. Mike Mike Pinball Clemens had to come down and act like the principal right. and be like, everyone get along. I think the Argos at three and three, it's a little inflated. They beat a Riders team that everyone thinks is on the downswing. So they beat a, an Owls team because the kicker missed a 20-yard field goal. Like, this Argos team is a a, ba- a, a bad kick and a COVID outbreak away from being 1-5. in five. Like, And again, just like with the Cats, your record is what your record is. You've earned it. I, I'm not taking anything away from them. I'm just not. I don't buy into them as being this this great team. We had on the postgame show, someone's like, this team's not going to beat the Argos. And it's like, why? 
why are they not going to be like the, the Argos haven't shown me anything that they're any good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They've, they've just, they've shown that they're a little bit better in, in some, like, I, th- I think that cats can, can go in there and they're getting healthier. Simone Lawrence looks like he's going to play this week. I, I see no reason why they can't shut down that offense and then do just enough offensively with their kind of gadgets and gimmicks to pull out the victory. Yeah. And if you look at the, the Toronto Argonauts offensively, uh, eighth in the league points for yep. eighth in the eighth in the league offensive points, uh, last in touchdowns, last in offensive TVDs. So, you know, they're near the worst in offensive production in the league. So, I, I mean, th- their offense is nothing to be scared of. And you said, you know, there might be some places where they're better than the Ticats. I think they're better along the defensive line. I agree. Uh, that's, that's a really good defensive line. Yeah. Yeah. Sh- you know, they, they got some some beasts in there. Oakman and um, Shane Ray and, of course, Shigar Davis on the outside. There, There's a lot of dangerous guys there. But other than that, I don't see them being better than the Ticats right now. So um, I think I think this is a very, very winnable game. Yeah, and I mean, Dinwiddie just got outcoached by Paul Lapolice, and everyone's been calling for Lapolice's head the last few weeks. So mm-hmm. they, they got they got ripped apart by Caleb Evans. And I, I'm, I like Caleb Evans. I think he has a future in this league, but he's not exactly Zach Caleros. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I there's this is a winnable game for sure. Will they win it? I don't know. It's tough to win on the road. But as we know, BMO Field's going to be filled with black and gold. So it's going to feel like a home game or at least at worst, a neutral site game where that's, it's loud. And if you go back to the last year's East final, I know it's not the East final, but that was just loud the entire time. It felt like a neutral site contest. I, I don't know. I, I think the Ticats can go in there and get the win. And I, I don't necessarily think they have to do anything special on their part. If they just play the way they've played the last few weeks, I see no reason why they can't go in there and win like 27 to 21. You know what I mean? Yep, don't turn over the ball. Uh, That's just it. If they don't turn over the ball, they're going to win. Yep. Because we've seen, not not only their loss, but even their victories. You know, Evans had the fumble against Ottawa. There's been fumble. Tim White had a fumble against BC. Uh, Anthony, was Anthony Johnson had a fumble against? Yeah, that was against similar Ottawa. play. Oh, and then this, this past week, Stephen Dunn, like, the fumble is just permeating the rest of the team. But, like, if they if they just stop fumbling them because the interceptions happen I, again I'm not kind of downplay them but interceptions happen they stop fumbling and they lose these fumbles it's not as if like they've probably fumbled the ball maybe ten to twelve times and probably lost ten or eleven of them you know what I mean like they're losing fumbles that's just bad fumble luck those things even out by the end of the year if if they just don't turn the ball over or minimize the turnovers I don't see any reason why they can't get this win yeah and and if you're going for it on third and one you know. Make it, please. I beg of you, because yeah, that that hurts as well. You know, there's turnovers. That's a switch in momentum. It's a turnover. Uh, you know, we've seen it way too often over the last couple of years. Uh, the quarterback sneak that just doesn't get there. So let's we have to improve on that to and, uh, and capitalize when they're in the red zone. You got yeah, capitalize. Got- let's not be a Trevor Harris and you know get field goals every time. Let's 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 get seven points. Yeah, they got to get touchdowns when they're red zone. If they get a lead, they got to keep, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's the same stuff we've been talking about. They got to. Right. Gotta and stop that. playing soft zone yeah. coverage. If when, you know, in the fourth quarter and just letting teams back crawl in. back into it. Yep. Like I would, I would be okay if you were just play your normal defense and you know, you got caught and you yep. lost, like don't let teams back in it when you have a big lead. We've seen it so many times this season. It's like Troy, Troy Durrell, you know, he said that uh, he sent us a message um, in the post game show last week, and the, you know we're right with you there because 
You know, it's I'm sick of seeing it. So, you know, Mark Washington is a great DC, but I just don't understand why he lays back so much with the lead. Play to win. Don't yep. play not to lose. Yep. The offense and the defense late in games when they have a 10 point lead are playing not to lose. Stop doing that. Play to win. Play the game. You got you got to that point in the game up for a reason. Keep doing it. I understand you, you want to kill all this talent at the DB position, right? Yep. Like just like all star unit. Use yep. them. Use them. Yeah. All right. So we will be back on almost at Friday night, Saturday night after the Argos tie cats clash, we will be back with our live post game show on Twitter. We'll be taking your comments and opinions like we always do. And Mike and I will have our instant reactions to Saturday's game. Hopefully we're hoping fingers crossed. It's another tie cats victory. That would be, that'd be, that'd be very nice to see, but that's what, that's where you will catch us next. Then we'll be back obviously next week to discuss all the news and notes from the, the week that was in tiger town and around the CFL. But for pods, we this week, I am Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.